I'm Verite, and you're listening to Anatomy of an Artist, a podcast about people, the art they create, and the business behind their art. Hello, and welcome back to another week of Anatomy of an Artist. My guest this week is artist, songwriter, producer, and creative director, Mothika. I was so excited to be able to catch up with Mothika to discuss her recent viral success with her single Vices and how that's changed the trajectory of her career. We talked about her fierce independence and how that translates into the creation and distribution of her art and how she's learned to trust her gut instincts. We got to talk about the community she's building and how she's using social media to build her foundation. I hope you guys enjoy our conversation and have a good day. There's there's part of me that feels a little bit grateful that this is our second pass at this podcast episode. And I feel like just for everyone listening, me being super upfront that like there is a much steeper learning curve to podcasting than I initially anticipated. And so Mm -hmm. I'm really grateful that we're getting to have a second conversation because I so admire you and your whole project and your whole story. And I feel like it's, it's rare that you actually get to just say, hey, can we try this again? And so I'm curious, is there a moment in your life and or career that you wish you could go back in time and like have a second chance at? Ooh. I mean, I try not to think about that, but because I think it'll drive me crazy if I think (laughs) about that. But, um, you know, no, I think, you know, uh, a few years ago when I was starting in music and I was having a lot of label conversations and stuff like that, like I think I successfully messed those up and now I'm not stuck in a situation mm. that I had to get out of. So I think everything kind of happened the way it should happen. I have to think that or else I will never sleep. Honestly, I have a very similar experience, especially with the label thing. And so I do think that everything happens for a reason. And then in rare instances where you actually get a do-over, it's nice to, you know, just sit in that and and do a bit better. So I appreciate totally. this. I want to go back and, and ask you the same question I ask everyone when we start. When you were younger, uh, what was your definition of success? Yeah, I love that. I love that question. Um, I would say... In growing up in Oklahoma, I definitely looked at um, being outside of Oklahoma as success. Uh, L.A. or New York, I would, you know, look up people online and visual artists and musicians. And, you know, I didn't really know I wanted to do music back then, but I remember hearing like songs indie songs in like car commercials or movie trailers and that was one way I discovered music so that's always been a big goal of mine is like you know if someone if I'm sitting in a movie theater and I can hear someone's song in it you know so I guess that but um yeah I I never really had like a goal of being a musician or a performer so I wasn't even 
thinking about that, but I remember I wanted to be on the cover of a science magazine when I briefly thought I would do science. <laughs> what, like National Geographic? I don't know. I like, you know, I I did well in my science class. So I literally thought maybe I'll study neuroscience and mm. I quickly realized I don't have the attention span for that. And just because I liked psychology doesn't mean I need to dedicate my life to, I don't know what, being on, uh, being on the cover of a science magazine is what I really wanted, you know. And, and nothing to do with music. Um, when did you start, uh, start writing and, and performing and, and did you aspire to be a professional musician when you started writing? No, I started writing songs, um, more when I was like in ninth grade, I had a classical guitar, uh, class in high school. So I would learn songs and I would cover like Bright Eyes or mm. Licky Lee and then sometimes use those chords to write my own songs. And I started posting them on YouTube back then, which are, you will never find. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And then I performed at my high school talent show, but all this time I never really, it was such a secretive hobby for me. It was so like, it was like my secret passion that I would share it online, but you would never catch me singing like in front of people really. I love that you used to cover Bright Eyes because I was also <laughs> obsessed with Bright Eyes, but he he's from Omaha, right? And so I feel like it's a very like Midwest um, championing artist. Yeah. So I'm surprised when people don't know Bright Eyes. It's I'm like, how how? Yeah, I think that that music and, and Connor Oberst in general, it's just so confessional and like emotive. And so my young teenage self was like so craving that kind of like brutal, dark honesty. <laughs> and and he kind of fed that for me in a lot of ways. Totally. So I feel like the, the EP that you just released, Forever 15, kind of like takes us into your young self, specifically the song Forever 15. Where did that song specifically come from? And where did the genesis of that EP, is it all kind of narrating your early teens? Um, no, not really other than like two of the songs talks about my younger self, but yeah, Forever 15 was a lyric I had in my title track to my album Blue Hour. I say, like, I'm Forever 15, Oklahoma City. And it was just something I wrote down as just like a thought of like, you know, if my suicide attempt had worked, I would be forever this 15-year-old. I wouldn't have experienced or all the issues or problems I had since. And that's a weird thought and sometimes a comforting thought that, you know, all the things I'm worried about now might have not existed. So I had that as a pre-chorus lyric. And then I had a session. It was one of a, it was a bigger session, like all my friends, like, yeah, three girls and me. So it's a big room. And um, it was one, I usually start with the title. And I was like, I always wanted to turn that into something. And it just kind of all came together really uh quickly as this like unfolding story of me at age 15 and um 
talks about the suicide attempt. And around that time I was, you know, I was dating an older guy and it talks about him and this just like vivid memory I have of, you know, me being upset and my, you know, old 20 something year old boyfriend bringing me alcohol as a, like you here, like, like that was a solution. Like I was already like put in that situation so early on. So, um, yeah, I felt like that, that, uh, song was the first one I wrote for the EP, but a lot of the other songs were more, you know, my current state and, you know, how maybe my trauma and getting sober. And now I get to deal with all the other issues that come up like body image or other forms of mental health. Well, it's, it's really interesting, uh, that EP and kind of how you merge your past self with your current self and forever 15 in in particular, mostly because it's so upbeat and the juxtaposition of how happy anthemic and optimistic that song sounds versus like the very dark lyrical content. And like when, when you're sitting and because I know you're very vocal about um, your past experiences, you know, mental health issues. We both, you know, share the depression um, bug, Mm -hmm. right? This idea. And so I'm curious, like when you're writing about things that are, you know, essentially very serious subject matter, do you plan out those narratives ahead of time or are you writing from stream of consciousness and kind of piecing that together as you go? Um, I mean, usually always it's the title first and the the concept and feeling for forever 15 is one of those ones that doesn't really like, I think of a lot of my songs as having like a personality to them where all of the production will like sound like the title, like my song fun house, which is full of carnival-y sounds and that, you know, forever 15 is more like free flowing. It doesn't have that characteristic of like, this is what this sounds like. So, um, yeah, I mean, at the time, I think that I wrote that song about a little over a year ago, I was listening to a lot of, or I wanted to incorporate pop punk sounds into my sound, which has always been more pop and electronic, but, but honestly, I felt like I grew up on the Warped Tour and rock bands, but I felt like I wasn't good enough to make that music. And when I started kind of hearing other people were doing that and I was like, Mm -hmm. okay, I'm giving myself permission. And so that was one of the first ones that had that little like driving beat to it. Yeah. It it feels nostalgic. And I, and I love that backdrop for something. I love the juxtaposition always of optimistic musicality and deep and dark lyricism. Oh yeah. Like pumped up kicks. Like, oh yeah. I remember when everyone found out what that was about. We were like, wait, what? This is on the radio? Like, what's happening here? You know, we we can do anything with art these days. Yeah. I'm really curious, and I have my own answer to this, but how do you think your experiences early on with depression and, you know, how do you think that they shaped your ambitions and your vision for yourself when you were in that state growing up? Ooh, yeah. I mean, I always think of my younger self and my teenage years as like, I felt like I lived like so many lives and I went through so much at an early age that, you know, maybe most people go through in college or later. So 
I don't know. I, I, but I think a lot of the reason why, you know, my depression and, um, getting into kind of drinking and debauchery is because I just wanted to get out of my skin and myself, but also my town. And that was, you know, my biggest dream was just to leave my hometown and trying to escape in any way I could. So I think I appreciated and had a little bit more, you know, uh, drive when I did finally get to leave and I got to move to New York because it, you know, I didn't um, take advantage of it. I mean, I took advantage of it because I was so excited about it. Well, I guess what was the most difficult part of the transition from Oklahoma City to New York? I think the most, <laughs> if anything, I felt very invincible uh, mm. when I moved to New York as a 18 year old. I and, love it. Yeah. So many crazy stories. But um, yeah, I think the most difficult thing was because I was used to growing up in Oklahoma and maybe it's like partying and um, I felt very invincible. So there was like a lot of scary times where I'd be walking around by myself at night or, uh, you know, had no sense of self-preservation when it comes to like getting in situations and I thought I could just talk my way into anything and um I met a lot of people in music and uh actually uh I I did acoustic guitar and stuff like that but through moving to New York I met a guy that showed me SoundCloud and I think that's around the time I heard your first EP and you know, my savvy self, I was like looking up who you worked with and I was trying to contact, like, you know, just like digging, trying to see if, you know, cause I didn't know you could produce music electronically until I moved to New York and discovered SoundCloud. Can I be honest? I, you're not the first person I've had this exact conversation with where like somehow, I think it's because we are the generation that we didn't fully grow up with the internet right and so like I grew up fully analog and then slowly transitioned into like this digital era and I was playing in bands all through high school and I just didn't realize that you could you know create music on a computer right I, I just had this antiquated mentality that you had to go record it live in a studio and so I had literally the same realization and it completely like blew my mind and opened up my whole world totally like SoundCloud was that era for me um what was the transition from like Mackenzie to Mothica did that happen pre-New York or did that kind of happen like when did you start this artist project Oh, yeah. So I actually was going by Mothica on Instagram when I was 16. And it was kind of an inside joke. And about, you know, I had this kinship to moths because I thought I was a moth in a past life because they're nocturnal and they're like these night and and um, so I was going by Mothica just for Instagram. And then when I started making music, I was trying to find all these other names like McKenzie without the vowels, <laughs> you know, and nothing really fit. And then I had that username. So there we go. And I think when I first started my project, I wanted to be a lot more mysterious. Like I always just dreamed of like wearing like 
crowns and being in cathedrals. And I thought it was going to be this like goth fancy thing, which, you know, I had no money to do locations like that. (laughs) So over time, like the project, instead of me being this like mysterious high fashion Mothica persona, it's now just, it's very interchangeable and McKinsey and Mothica, it's just me. (laughs) It always has that dark aesthetic, but a little more attainable. Yeah, I think that I had a really similar experience when I when I started my project, right? I had these high aspirations and, and like mostly like I really wanted to kill myself off in a lot of ways, right? I really mm-hmm. like I wanted to escape what was my past and like really start fresh and like have this perfectly curated persona but similarly like I had no budget and and probably different than you like I had no sense of identity right in myself and so I always felt like I was reaching for something but not necessarily knowing what that was and now it's landed in this place of like oh Kelsey and Verite are the same person but like verite gives me an excuse to dress way cooler yeah my daily i I think i'm probably like wearing the same hoodie that i've been wearing for the past like three (laughs) months but i just came from two days of shooting where i got to like turn up the volume by 10 those looked amazing by the way Thank you so much. And I have to say the same for you. Like I've been watching your aesthetic grow and change. And it's funny that you had aspired to be this kind of goth pop queen with the with the cathedral and the environment and the crowns. And I feel like you're kind of inhabiting that right now. Yeah, a little bit in my video for Buzzkill, um, which I managed to just have a collection of harnesses and stuff that fit but yeah I mean I definitely wanted to be banks and just have like wallowing like fabric around me at all times and I just realized I don't have that grace and (laughs) just and it kind of works that Mothica is just kind of um myself but slightly more done up yeah I think that I think just kind of touching on your video for Buzzkill and this, you know, dichotomy between like Mackenzie and Mothica, right? I feel like that video is you and kind of an alter, alternate version of you. Do you feel like that is an accurate, you know, flip between like Mackenzie and Mothica? Yeah. I mean, that video, I had the idea for that. It was this, my original idea was Wes Anderson assassin style just Mm. zoom ins and very like uh straight on shots and i was listening to the mixes of my ep walking to 7-eleven like in crocs with hot cheetos and i was like this is so funny to (laughs) think about this you know badass version of me but when in actuality when you're coping with something like you actually don't look like that so i added on the other element of like the real the real version of me um just because i was like i don't know if it's gonna be super believable (laughs) that i'm this crazy assassin I feel like the video, the result to me is reminiscent of Scott Pilgrim and that movie um, mm. where it is. It's like everybody has their kind of superhero and or super villain version of themselves. And then you get to kind of see them toggle back and forth between that and their more real life character. Love that. 
Love that reference. So early on in your music making as Mothika, like you said, you know, electronic production was a revelation. What did your early music making and artistry look like when you moved to New York, discovered SoundCloud and, and started writing and producing on your own? Yeah, I mean, it sounded a lot more lo-fi, I guess, or ambient and my vocals were just drenched in reverb and I was still kind of finding my voice like people would always say you know singing in cursive or marble mouth like that I wasn't pronouncing words correctly (laughs) I probably I still don't but you know I was trying to copy all the uh artists I like like uh the band Daughter who's British and Mm -hmm. I wanted to sound like that so you can hear that in my first EP which was self-produced basically I wrote that trying to learn Ableton and yeah the songs were just very uh electronic in the box kind of sounds what was your introduction your first introduction to the music industry when you were self-producing and self-releasing that early music oh wow yeah so I was in college and I was studying interactive media which was like a combination of like coding graphic design and I wanted to work for a record label and help artists with their visual branding and you know, coincidentally, now I can do that for myself. And I learned Premiere and all that stuff. But at the time, I was releasing this EP, literally completely on my own. And somehow, I think a a YouTube channel reposted it, and it ended up going on the viral charts back in maybe 2015. And so I started getting emails from record labels. And I think I got one email from a record label, a major record label. And after that one email, I went to my school and dropped out because I thought, (laughs) this is it. I'm done. I've made it. And, you know, looking back, I realized these emails were just like, you know, the start of a conversation. And I talked to quite a few label people and managers. And I started hearing all the kind of phrases you might hear like, got to strike while the iron's hot or oh, like God. I would hear like I'm a bulldog or like we're just like these little things that I'm like and I was so put off by it you know or this one guy who called me and he was like I want to fly you out and do a record deal with you are you easy to work with are you easy to work and I'm like I have no idea I've never worked with anybody so <laughs> I'm glad I didn't do it because I probably would be terrified. I'd never even been in a studio. So luckily all those things kind of didn't work out. But yeah, I felt like I was like having all these conversations with people that would say these phrases that were so like fake. Actually, Pell, who I interviewed for this podcast, said it the best. It's like it's all smoke and mirrors and everyone's trying to project an image of themselves. And and somehow, you know, just coming into the industry, uh, you're expected to know and know what I don't know. (laughs) Right. But like (laughs) I understand that sentiment because I knew nothing. I had no history of entertainment industry And I felt really lost and disillusioned, kind of trying to figure out how I could get in, right? Because that was my only goal in the beginning. It's like, how do I get in the door, right? This this gate feels like it's 30 feet high. And I see all of these other people doing things that 
I want to be doing, but I don't understand what the path forward is. And so I guess at that point, obviously you didn't sign because you remained independent. What, and you talked earlier about feeling as though you quote unquote, like messed up those conversations. I guess, where did they tail off and where did the decision to be an independent artist come from? Yeah. I mean, you know, I had a few offers early on and some were for a a chunk of money, but I, you know, said no for, for whatever reason, like, um, and one of them, which was a dream label of mine actually was interested in developing me. But to me, I was so, I was like, I already made a body of work and they were like, we want to put you in more sessions and have you develop more. And I was like, bye-bye. And I probably should have done that because, I don't know. I'm not super excited about that EP, but you know, it didn't work out. And I'm really glad for that because now I'm, I've learned a lot and, uh, and especially in releasing independently during the quarantine and having a song kind of take off and having the freedom to put it out with a week's notice and do all my own merch out of my parents' house and like all this stuff. I, I know now that, you know, if a conversation comes up, I'm like, I have the confidence of what I've done by myself. I'm like, I I literally do not need you. (laughs) Yeah. It's the, it's the freedom of having a solid foundation. That is the foundation of your home for lack of a better metaphor. Yeah. Right. It's, it's like you can have ownership of the foundation that you've built and anyone else who comes in, they're kind of operating ideally on your terms. So you just mentioned freedom and autonomy. I'm curious mm-hmm. off the top of your head, other than that, like what's the best part about operating as an independent artist? Um, I mean, other than the freedom and autonomy, I think, I mean, it, yeah, it's the, it's the creative vision. I think I've, um, I briefly tried to work with a creative director or have other people, um, contribute, like visuals and for the most part I'm pretty hands-on so I get to design my own merch and deal with all that and I think I like being busy with those things and I feel like when it does happen to work it feels so rewarding that no one else is taking ownership of that success it was me when my song Vices kind of had a little moment and the video was doing well and I took a risk and the distributor I was with AWOL told me not to do what I did, which was to release it immediately. Mm-hmm. And they said, you should wait a few weeks and we'll pitch it or release it for free on SoundCloud. And I was like, I just want to see if this is going to work. And it, when it worked, I kind of like now I'm like, OK, maybe I do know what I'm doing. And it's helped me move forward and make more decisions that might work out in the same way. Yeah, I feel like gut instinct is highly underrated. Oh, yeah. Especially when you are, you know, essentially your own boss. And I have basically the same answer to that question. Not only do we get freedom and autonomy, but we get to like own the success and we get to grow and make mistakes and we also get to take ownership of the failures which is sometimes gut-wrenching but that being said I would much rather take ownership of all of my successes and all of my failures than feel dependent on another person or or you know company 
to move the needle forward in any way. Yeah, I'd rather mess up myself for sure. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, if I have someone else to blame, I'm going to blame them. Like, <laughs> So let's blame ourselves. I don't know if this yeah. is a healthy trajectory for this conversation, <laughs> but, you know, I, I do understand the perspective deeply. Yeah. What is the most challenging aspect of building your career independently? I think on the on the flip side, it's the maybe not having the the respect or the pull from maybe artists that are have a smaller following, but they have a parent in the industry or they have a label, they have a bigger booking agent. And, you know, I hustle as hard as I can and try to get on tours and stuff like that. But then you always hear, oh, well, they ended up going with the artists that paid to play and get on that spot or they went with the artists that uh, they're signed to the same label or, you know, and so that would be frustrating is like, you know, not having a real team that can fight for you. You're just, it's easy to get pushed out of the way. Um, and that, and, you know, when things aren't working, it feels very much like you have nobody on your side, even though you chose that. <laughs> We chose this life. Yeah. No, I, I completely understand that. I think that there is a power to the cosine, right? And there is a power to these massive companies. They're immensely successful for a reason. But I think that overcoming that, and, and like you said, it's a hustle and it's a grind. And I love being busy with the minutia. I love being busy with the planning. And, and I think that recognizing that that's actually part of what makes my life and career like meaningful is actually doing those things that maybe some other people don't like doing but like I find immense meaning in building a creative vision from the ground up and like having my hands in the dirt yeah the process of it and doing all of the I think obviously the fantasy of like before the music is out or before the art is out and that is the most exciting time to me and then often yeah when the song comes out or the video comes out, that's when it's like sad. <laughs> I like to yeah. keep busy beforehand. Well, once it comes out, it's done, right? And yeah. like, I, I question, when when you release a song or a project, do you let it go or do you revisit it? I completely do not listen to it ever again. Mm -hmm. um, I think with the EP I just released... I I have actually listened to that for fun. So it's pretty rare. Um, I think because, I yeah, I view that EP as being more colorful and have some more guitar and stuff that I listen to. It's funny because, like, the music I listen to and what I make are sometimes so different. So, yeah, but for the most part, if a song is out, I only listen to it if I'm performing it. Reinterpreting songs live is fun. Re-listening to my own records makes me want to, you know, plug up my ears. Yes, because you'll hear mistakes or something <laughs> wanted to fix. Yeah, exactly. It's hard to not look at, back at prior work without a critical ear. Yeah, totally. I want to go back a little bit to vices. Prior to this, you're an independent artist and, and obviously like you're, you're hustling. How has your song Vices and that viral moment changed your career? I mean, it, it changed it 
incredibly, incredibly so much because obviously it was came up on TikTok and I was pretty new to using that platform. I'd been using it for a few months and I think uh, it grew, it grew very quickly. I, uh, you know, I think overnight got like 50,000 more followers and now it's even up to like five, over 500,000. And I don't know if those people are all actual <laughs> humans who will come to my show. I, I don't know, but, um, you know, that started the conversation with the, um, with labels being interested in me. And actually after that song, I had a t-shirt, I sold about, 2000 of and and that money went directly into music videos that I'd always wanted to do bigger budget music videos but obviously it's like straight out of my savings so I got to do some interesting things and just be taken seriously and now decided or for many reasons had to stay independent and now I'm like creating a real team and going with the merch company, actually, the one you use, Merch Productions, and going to get a booking agent for the first time ever, and all these things that hopefully will pay off when the real world kind of comes back, and who knows? (laughs) Yeah, for that, we can take a quick second to knock on some wood (laughs) for the world to return to a state of somewhat normal. Uh, this is this is our meditation moment for a post-pandemic world. What do you think the most valuable aspect of like TikTok and, and the community you've built there and, and social media in general is for an artist who's starting out today? Um, I think the amazing thing about TikTok for me was that it allowed me to show a different side of my personality because I'm not someone who's going to sit in front of you and be the most amazing piano player you've ever heard. Like a lot of what my value comes in my, maybe my sense of humor or my ideas. And I can't really show that in any other way than, you know, in little videos and a lot of my videos are not even related to my music. You know, I was able to kind of tell the backstory to songs. And one amazing thing that happened was I somehow rallied people to pre-save my album enough that it charted on iTunes and it worked and it was crazy. I don't even, I had never even looked at iTunes for years. And then, you know, I strategically decided to do a Thursday instead of a Friday. (laughs) So there'd be less competition and, and it worked. So that was like a huge example of like, if people are on your side, what they can help you do. And especially because I think people knew my story that there was no label or PR publishing or anything really behind me. And at the time I was at my parents' house hand bleaching shirts with my dad and mom as a team. (laughs) So it was awesome. Do you feel like your parents are one of your most valuable teammates at this point? I mean, obviously, currently you're in L.A., but in that time, I can imagine that support had to be so important. Totally. I think it took them a little while to come around to supporting me in music, especially my dad, who is an engineer and kind of didn't think there was money in music (laughs) and art and probably the reason why I didn't consider it as an option for me either. But um, my mom actually, yeah, she 
since she retired, she has a vintage booth. So all of the props and everything in my music videos, my mom will come bring her own like clothes and help. And she's actually, it's funny. She like stalks my Mothka hashtags and she will point out typos I have or <laughs> if someone mentioned me and more than any manager has ever helped me like she monitors my projects so it's so sweet we're kind of talking about how disillusioned you can be entering into the music industry and even when you're in it and so it's nice to have grounding in your core unit yeah, and it took me a long time to kind of appreciate that. I think now my parents, maybe they don't understand the music industry, but they will listen to me complain about it. And that's all I can ask for. <laughs> yeah, free therapy. That's what parents are yeah. for. <laughs> Love it. So just going back to vices in that viral moment, how important do you think merely asking for support from a, from an online community is, right? Because you mentioned that you just kind of told your story and then asked for the help that you needed and then that help arrived. And so I guess how important is like asking in like kind of leveraging support from your fans? Yeah, I, that was one of a pretty rare occasion. I asked directly for people to to help me. And it was kind of more of an experiment to see if it would work out. And at the time, when I released my album, pretty much uh, the label thing was off the table. So I was kind of nervous of what would happen. But I think my philosophy behind, you know, sharing songs is not really to ask people to listen to you, but to mm -hmm. offer something. Because I, I do see a lot of that, like, blow this up. Oh, my God. And it's yeah. like, after a while, it's like, why though? Like, tell me why. This idea of building a community and and that's really what I, I've seen you really successfully do on TikTok and then kind of bringing that outside of TikTok into not the real world, right? Because we're all essentially living <laughs> in the metaverse at this point, but, you know, onto these different platforms and, and leveraging that, you know, to kind of have an album debut number one on iTunes. Like, that's badass right and so community is a two-way street and it's not like what can you do for me but it's like what can we build together and I think that's a really beautiful sentiment yeah yeah I think I'm still even even figuring that out and you know when shows come back it'll be a totally different landscape to see if you know all the people that discovered me end up becoming real listeners and supporting me beyond the internet beyond the internet god i can't like i feel like i haven't seen anyone in so long we're in a different era of of community and interaction i'm i'm curious your community has obviously done so much for you but like what do you feel what do you want to give to your fans and, and your people? Like, how do you want them to feel? What sense of security do you want to give them? I'm at, This is a very roundabout way to ask this yeah. question, but I think you know what I mean. Yeah. I mean, I think it's still pretty new that, like, I don't know if, uh, you know, my my fan pages don't have, like, a ton of followers. I think it's pretty new to the Mothka world, but something that I really feel passionately about and that I'm going to start doing is uh, 
giving back to other musicians that have maybe seen my project and liked what I do because I do have a lot of ideas for other people. I have to kind of hear the song, but I want to start offering uh, like kind of paid feedback. If you send me a song, I'll give you my ideas on a TikTok you can make or a, even a visual or the colors that come to mind. And um, I love doing that. And I've, I, I've actually helped a, a few friends kind of have little viral videos with my ideas. So, um, and it's just like, it, because people ask me for advice, but it's hard to give something general that applies to everyone because some musicians are incredible vocalists and should do more covers and acapellas, but I'm not going to give the same advice to a vocalist as I would to a producer that makes EDM or, you know, so doing something like that. And, you know, I have a little playlist of uh, female vocalists and a lot of those I just find through people that follow me and send me their music. I mean, that to me feels like more of this entrepreneurial hustle that is inherent when you essentially are running an independent project but oh like <laughs> but utilizing these skills of like yeah you are an incredible visual artist you know conceptual artist and essentially now like social media marketer right if we if we look at kind of all of these TikTok videos that you've put together. And so it feels like a really natural progression to spin that into what, like, it sounds like a mini creative agency, which is a brilliant pursuit. Yeah. I mean, and beyond, obviously that would only really be of help to musicians, but, you know, to people that listen to my music, I think what I want them to get out of it is what I get out of music, which is, you know, a language that helps them understand their own experiences. And that's something for me, like, um, you know, I heard a song by Cold War Kids in high school that later I realized is the song that helped me realize I was an alcoholic, like because of the words and the phrase that they used. And um, there's so many songs I look back on that like made me understand depression. Um, there's a song um, called by during the headlights. That's like, I'm like a paper cup with a pinprick. I'll only stay full for a while. Mm. And like, to me, that's like so much about depression and vices and chasing that high. Um, so, I mean, I, I try to write lyrics that are as accurate, um, to my story, but also think about the other perspective of, you know, if I wrote a song that was just about how I feel, it'd probably be a lot more dark but I try to yeah. add a silver lining, usually. We try to balance the dark with some optimism. <laughs> totally. How do you think that going from the process of writing and producing Blue Hour to, you know, the viral success of Vices and now Forever 15, do you think that it's injected you with a different confidence that's going to allow you to move forward in a different way? And I guess, how do you feel like it's affected your trajectory moving forward? Yeah, I think it gave me a, a lot of uh, confidence about maybe some ideas I have um, about just uh, what works and what doesn't. And I think I had a lot of expensive mistakes over my career of mm. hiring a publicist or um, uh, trying to do a TikTok campaign. And and now I have my ideas for things are, are more um, rooted in like, what's something interesting and different that 
you know, not everyone is doing. And, uh, you know, do I need, do I need to pay someone a thousand dollars to potentially get a billboard article? No, cause it doesn't matter if what matters is, you know, that the people like the music and maybe are making art out of it. That, um, one thing I did for my blue hour album is I hired a couple artists to make something based on the songs. And this girl made a a furless Furby called a skin bee Ooh. based off of my album. And it was a tattooed blue naked Furby. And that is the best thing of marketing I've ever done. Cause it was just glorious and, and just doing things that are more fun and like innovative and not this like cookie cutter, like let's pay someone to make up a dance that and try to get it to catch on or, you know? Yeah. Um, what, what is your, your biggest critique of, you know, the traditional music industry? I think there's a lot of money going into ideas and projects that could one do them for much less, but also don't have a deeper meaning. I I don't know if that's my biggest critique, but something that's been frustrating for me is just the the distribution of <laughs> wealth and when i hear about a $400,000 music video and like how insane i think fans would react if you knew what the artist you're listening to how much money is going to some of these things like you know that's someone's salary for years and years and years and years it's baffling to to hear about and, you know, no shame, spend the money if you got it. But I think something I always strive for is like, what's the reason why I'm doing this? And we can be intensely creative with limited resources. And actually, the result of that can be just as beautiful and striking as, you know, like you said, a $400,000 music video budget. Yeah, totally. There were so many years I just wanted to sign to a label because I had that mentality that I think a lot of artists have that like, as soon as you get signed, you're good. And there's a team of people doing everything for you. Mm. And you don't have to do anything. And you're just someone's bringing you a tray of cheese. I don't know. (laughs) But, you know, that that fantasy doesn't exist in my mind anymore. Like, I know that even the people that get signed to a lot of my friends are signed to labels, I hear their stories. And I know that the second you are involved in an institution like that, you work harder to get your voice heard. Yeah, it's it's the mentality that the grass is always greener, right? And and as independent artists, you look at, you know, the grass of the major label artists and you're like, that shit looks greener. And a, a major label artist who's having trouble getting a song released is looking at that independent grass being like, that would be really nice to lay in right now. Yep. Totally. I think what we can all realize is that the grass isn't always greener and, you know, there are inherent challenges to every path forward. But it's just how creative can you be in your current situation? I just thought of a really clever idea. Maybe your grass would be greener if you watered it. Whoa. (laughs) Yeah, I think I should make a bumper sticker. (laughs) 
Oh, that's so good. I'm, I'm going to tweet that after this. Anatomy of an Artist is a podcast created, recorded, and edited by me, Verite. It was produced by Vanessa Magos with the help of Yesenia Bonilla. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.